podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ready? Play. Good. <laughs> I've got to take us both off mute. There we Jack. go. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Jack, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, thank you. John, I'm well sunned, I'm well holidayed. Came back to pouring rain today. I have a suitcase as well, went missing, but otherwise, I'm good. Really oh, your alive. suitcase went missing. So just so everyone knows, Jack has been uh, jet-setting off to California to the Indian Wells tournament, of course, uh, among other things. Um, what happened to the suitcase? It just went missing. It was in Dublin and they lost it, but apparently they found it now, John, so I'll get it today. So it's not the end of the world. Were you in Dublin too? Yeah, no, a layover. Just yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just wondered. You, you, you never know with these suitcases. Jack, how was it? Oh, it was great, John. It was so good. The, the, you know, the rumours about, or the, the, the claims of tennis paradise are all, all real. It looks amazing. The sun's just out constantly. It was uh, fantastic. Some of the, the accessibility as well. I expected it to be a lot harder. You just walk onto any of the courts, apart from court one, and uh, look at whatever you like. So it was, it was really easy to just you know get a grounds pass for the day and see five or six matches or something. It was great. What was the price for a grounds pass, more or less? Sixty dollars. Okay. So, yeah, that's so good. Not, yeah, it's okay. You know, you get cheaper tournaments in the world. Yeah. Place. True. True. But um, it lived up to its expectations. Yeah, it was, it was great, honestly. So good. But loads of matches I can talk about there, but we'll, we can get properly into it soon. Oh, there's uh, Vanch, of course. Yeah, got to see Vanch in the flesh for the first time. John, still to meet yourself in the, the flesh, actually. Um, yeah, we're pretty close, but um, yeah. you've managed to meet someone much further away in Vanch. Also, <laughs> I think um, someone from the Murray Musings as well. Um, uh, Peter, Peter, right? Yeah, yeah, I met Peter as well. Yeah, yeah, he was great fun. Very, very nice chap, Peter. Um, but I spent like, the whole day with Vanch. We were just... Uh, I only saw Peter a few times in passing, but Vance was there uh, with me, glued to my hip for like 10 hours or so. It was great fun. Did you did you have a hit as well? We didn't get to have a hit, no. I was planning on going to San Diego, but it didn't really work out with timings, so we just met up at the tennis and spent the whole day there together. Cool. Tell us a bit more about your experience. I'm really uh, keen to know because it does... It, it Does it feel a bit surreal as well? Is, is, it as, is it as far out? I mean, I think it's three hours from LA, right? Does it feel mm-hmm. like you're on a tennis island for a few days or whatever? Uh, it was a bit odd for us because because we were staying in Palm Springs, I guess. It didn't feel for most people that actually live in California, nobody really lives in Palm Springs. So most of the time it's like a fair drive away for Vance. It was like three hours up the freeway. I think Isabel as well met her. It was about two hours for her from LA, um, two and a half hours or so. Uh, so I, it felt like it was just on our doorstep. It was about even still a half hour drive actually from where we were in Palm Springs. It really is in the middle of nowhere. You're, you're right, John, like the other end of the mountains, basically. But when you're there, it's like a haven. I mean, it's ama- easy to access free parking as well. I mean, I didn't expect free parking, but you just pull up in your car, walk straight in, and, and that's you. It's quite, quite easy. Cool. All right. Let's get into the tennis. Let's get into. Uh, we'll we'll start from from yesterday, if you like, and work back. And there will be moments as we work back where you will have been there in the thick of the action. But I know you've been travelling this weekend, and therefore, you know, got back yesterday, so you weren't there for the for the finals, if you like. But um, 
short, saw plenty of action before that. Uh, I just had a, a, a brief memory of Holger and Stan, but we need to we need to wait for that. Um, okay, let's let's start um, with the men's final. Uh, obviously, Carlos winning it. Um, I predicted Carlos to win the tournament beforehand. I don't know if you did, Jack. No, I didn't. I didn't. I had a Carlos Medvedev final. I mean, maybe it's not super risky, but the risk with 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 Carlos, of course, was all about the health. Mm-hmm. We'd seen him pull out of Australia. Um, we know that he tends to to take caution, if that's the right expression, with his with his health. Or certainly, thanks to Juan Carlos Ferreira, they very they take very mature decisions. Let's say, and I think Australia was one of those. We mm-hmm. saw him back on court in Latin America, but then, of course, in the Rio final. He sort of is basically lame for the last set. I think he pulls out of Acapulco. And as a result, everyone's going, do you really want to be back in Carlos right now, bearing in mind this situation? And of course, with probably any other player on the tour, including Messrs, Djokovic and, or probably lesser extent Djokovic, but including Nadal and, and one or two others at the upper echelons of tennis, I, I, I would, would put Carlos in a special bracket in that I don't think these guys are taking risks with his health. And that was my thought going to the tournament. If he's not 100% ready, that's skipping this sunshine double and going full full pedal for the yeah. clay. But they clearly think that this issue's not big. So yeah, that's why I went to Carlos. I think Alcaraz more than any other player in, in history, maybe, because his team from the very start were so switched on to you know making sure he was in perfect condition for every single match. There's not really been another player in history that's had that amount of you know, resource or that that number of resources from a young age so he, he was always prepared for this anytime you know there's there's an injury issue he takes the appropriate amount of time off and if he's playing a tournament you're right john i think he can consider him in fit enough health to to play right even in um rio was it yeah the final in rio he should have stopped playing there i think his team were telling him to stop playing and he just kept going so you know his team always have the right advice for him so if he was playing this tournament john he was always capable of winning it for me. Yeah, right. It was a lovely embrace between him and uh, Juan Carlos Ferreira at the end as well. What did you make of the final? I mean, I know you've been travelling and stuff and catching bits of it, but what were your thoughts? I just caught up there, right? So I, from, from what I'd heard from everybody, Medvedev um, was totally blown off the court. Alcaraz was was fantastic. There's, there's a bit more to it than that, I think. Honestly, Medvedev did not play a very good match, right? And there's loads of ways you can confirm that. You look at the way the extended rallies ended. A lot of the time that was with a Medvedev unforced error. You look at the number of free points Medvedev was winning on serve. It took a while to get going and the serve did eventually start. But for the first like three games of the match and that sort of period in the second set, Alcaraz didn't have to do a lot to get the return back and Medvedev wasn't capitalising. Medvedev at his peak does better than that. I'm sorry, he absolutely does. Three and two against Medvedev in a hard court in anybody's book. That's a poor match, I think. Even if, even if it's Alcaraz in peak form on the other side of the net, I'm sorry. Like saying that, John, saying that Alcaraz was very, very good at knowing when to come forward. I was super impressed with that. It wasn't egregious, you know. He just he was capable of finishing the point off at the net. He'd used the odd serve and volley to finish off points very, very, very cleanly. Actually, better than I thought. Um, and obviously, his forehand was able to dominate some of the rallies when he needed to as well. And his backhand's not a, a liability like, you know, a, a lot of the players Medvedev plays. He makes them look like they've got a bad backhand. That's not the same for Alcaraz, right? But let's just say next time they play in hardcore, John, I'm not expecting it to be as one-sided as that. Um, that's sure. 
we saw the full repertoire from Carlos, the the drop shots at the right moments, and that's something that's really important as well, doing it at the right time. Uh, and execution, is his, his consistency on the drop shot execution. I mean, I saw Medvedev try one as well at one stage, and it just didn't quite make it over the net. And I know what it's like for me when I try and do a drop shot. And probably they either go far too deep and landing on the service line or or don't even make it over the net. So it's not just the fact that he's, he's doing it and succeeding with it. He's just doing it with aplomb just day in, day out. And then the, the serve volley at the right time, you know, pushing Medvedev, we know how that can often work well. Uh, what else? Of course, the forehand was was it, uh, was it was solid. That was that was something as well about his performance. Backhand returns as well. It was actually a solid performance from Carlos. I know a lot of people were drooling over him on social media and, and rightly so, but it wasn't quite that, that, that unbelievable level that we saw at times in New York last year and even mm-hmm. on the clay in Latin America. I just thought it was super solid. Mm-hmm. I mean, the course are too slow for Alcaraz to just absolutely annihilate anybody in those course. Medvedev just looks, he made Medvedev look second rate, but just imagine, so we wind like a few months ago to Medvedev playing center in, in the Rotterdam final, right? And center played a fantastic match there, but Medvedev was just a bit better. If you remember that match, so many of the rallies went to like nine shots or over and Medvedev just constantly came out on top. That's what Medvedev can do on a slower hard court where the conditions aren't wreaking havoc with his game, basically. And that's the reason he doesn't like Indian Wells a lot of the time. You know, he doesn't know what he's going to get when he steps on court. Is it going to be windy this day? Is it going to be high bouncing this day? He's just got no idea. And he says it's a lot about adapting. And Medvedev's good at that, but when the conditions don't fall his way and, you know, he doesn't get a steady serve, you know, as soon as you throw the ball up and you're on that court, which I did get to go on actually when I was away, it can be really swirly. So you've got no idea how, you know, what sort of toss you're going to get. And that we've seen it really, really weak habit. Medvedev in the past, at least he sort of got away with it here. Point is though, he just doesn't know what he's going to get compared to somewhere like Rotterdam or even in New York where the courts are a bit quicker, but at least you know what you're going to get when you step on court. So it kind of fell into Alcaraz's favour in a lot of ways in the end um, with Medvedev. Just missing shots that he, he wouldn't normally miss. Definitely, as you say, Alcaraz just had to stay solid a lot of the time. Um, there was a lot of errors from Medvedev from positions he wouldn't normally make them in. Yep, indeed. Um, any final thoughts on on there two, the two of them throughout the tournament? I mean, Medvedev did make a smile and maybe even laugh a few times when he was talking about the court speed. He apologised to the court in yeah, his... Uh, <laughs> oh, he thanked, thanked the court, sorry, in his speech last night um, as well. So he's certainly not lacking in humour. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. His, uh, his, his on-court interviews are always a pleasure, definitely. I will say, um, uh, you know, although Medvedev played badly, Alcaraz absolutely deserved to win the tournament. He was the, by far the best player. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. So I just, I, I'm hoping if they played, if they played in Miami, for example, I think we'd get a much more uh, exciting match. I've just uh, sent a link to your YouTube channel in the live chat. Make sure you check out on the line, Jack, both on YouTube, Twitter, and various other uh, internet spaces, etc. Um, okay, cool. Let's move on. Uh, Tiafo Sinner is sort of next on my li- list. Did um, I guess they can both take a lot of positives from this tournament? Yes, yeah, Sinner, you know, Sinner, the the problem is staying consistent, right? And um, it's a consistent problem, sorry. He's now 217 against top five players, I believe, in the, throughout his career. I mean, that's a properly one-sided 
head-to-head against all those players. And mm. he's always just a step below, isn't he? He's not much. You know, you remember the five setters he had in the last year, the one at Australia against Sitsipas, the one at Alcaraz at the US Open, the one against Novak at Wimbledon. He's always just a whisker away, but he can't quite get over the line. And obviously here, he had a set point in that first set. Only just didn't come out on top there. It's it's small margins, and it won't take long for him to overcome that. But he is a step below the best in the world. Yeah. Um, are any of those two wins, uh, including the ones against Alcaraz, or was Alcaraz not top five at the time? Um, oh, I don't know. It's just that if neither of those include Alcaraz, because let's say he was ranked six or seven at the time of some of those wins, that sort of just it doesn't change it a lot. I, I, I completely concur with your point, but it, it might just, you know, you could be playing a top. Right now, he, he's playing Daniel Medvedev when he's ranked maybe six or seven, but we know mm. Daniel Medvedev is two or three in real terms. But uh, so that can skew those stats a bit. And Alcaraz's surge last year, uh, and I know. He stemmed that surge a couple of times at Wimbledon and, and on the clay in, in Europe too. But I, I also get that point. I know that some people are even harsher than than you and I in terms of Sinner and that they think he may may never quite get over that, that there'll always be a hurdle yeah. too far. What Do you think that's too harsh, Jack? I think that's, I think that's too harsh, definitely. He's, he, you can tell he's got latent firepower on both sides that eclipses quite a few of the uh, other top 20 players that is, you know, are his peers. He's got the shots definitely to, to get into the top five, but he needs to improve a few things serve wise, coming forward wise. It's not much. And, you know, he's only 21, 100% still has the potential to break through. I'm just looking at those wins, by the way, John. Taylor Fritz uh, actually makes it three wins against top five, the win in the quarterfinals. And he's beaten Alcaraz in Umag. That was when Alcaraz was number five. And uh, Rotterdam sits the pass. So uh, those two wins actually making it very. We're only just making it into the, the, the win category there. They, they've only just come in the last month, obviously. So before that, it was 117. There you go. Davidovich uh maybe oh. just have a quick mention of him. I know you saw him live. I, I forget which match was it against uh, Hatchinov you saw him? Yeah, it was against Hatchinov. Yeah. yeah. What were your thoughts on... Because uh, I know Gil Gross actually went really big on him. And I think his optimism was justified pretty much by that win. That was the one that was going to be the... I actually uh, sent him uh, Gil a message regarding his prediction and, and that particular match because it was like, if he wins this, even if he doesn't make the semi-final as, as Gil had optimistically predicted, I think that's the, that's the make or break, if you like, in terms of, okay, he lost to Medvedev in the end of the quarterfinals, but, but not many of us had, you know, Davidic Fakina getting that far. So what are your thoughts on him having seen him in the flesh and, and his tournament as well? I'm I'm crazy for Davidovich Fikina now. I am high on Davidovich Fikina. He is such a good player to watch live, and any opportunity I get in the future, I'd be going to watch him. He's he's honestly he's he's so fun. Like he goes, you can kind of see it when you're watching on the telly, right? How good the shots are, but when you actually see it live, the backhands down the line are phenomenal, and some of the forehands are an absolute joke. They're like lasers. You can't tell, I guess, watching it on the telly, but they, I mean, they don't curve it's just like a, a, a straight laser into the corner it's, it's fantastic he's amazing so yeah any chance you get to to see him go see him john he's he's, he's so fun um yeah, I, yeah with, him, so I, I look forward to that with, with regards to gil's optimism on him I, I was pretty optimistic he'd do well i didn't think he was i genuinely didn't think he was beating Medvedev. and the reason for that is that his serve is is great actually, but in terms of pace, but he still doesn't spot serve anywhere near 
the rest of the top 50, actually. I, I think it's, you know, it's a glaringly obvious uh, part of his game that needs to improve. I was so surprised at how fast it was, though, when I actually went to watch him. It's, he's serving at 130 miles an hour plus consistently. Um, but Kachanov gets the ball back pretty much every time because it's coming straight towards him. You know, he very rarely can bury it into the corners. So that once he improves that, I mean, the sky's the limit for, for him. The, the two shots are amazing. The forehand and the backhand. So, yeah, top top twenty player for sure, I think. But that'll be a win. And we're coming in, into an interesting part of the season for him because we've got obviously a couple of months of clay in Europe, and we know we know how much he loves to to dive around, and it's probably a little bit easier to do so on the clay than the hard court. And then we've got the grass and. I know he didn't really have a great reputation on grass until last summer, uh, I would say, and he had a couple of good tournaments. And uh, yeah, going to be watching him closely. I think it's impossible not to do a podcast with you, Jack, and not to mention a certain uh, Mm -hmm. Scottish tennis player. And I don't mean Jamie Murray. Excuse me, Jamie Murray fans. But um, obviously, again, you've got to see Andy Murray play uh, Mm -hmm. in Indian Wells. And he's having... A year, irrespective of, of your nationality or, or fondness for the guy, he's having a year where you just can't do a podcast without him at the moment, right? Absolutely, yeah. He, um, he, he was okay in this tournament, I guess. He got that first straight sets win of the, the, the season, John. Um, got another three sets one under his belt as well. Uh, but, you know, overall, uh, you're saying that, you know, you have to talk about him, but overall, it was a little underwhelming how he went out at that. You know, okay. the, the, the Draper loss was a wee bit deflating. The first set was great against him, but to see him kind of fall away like that after all those three set wins this, this year was a wee bit surprising. But, you know, the, the conditions here have never suited him, I guess. So Right. So you were a bit surprised by that. I thought that that was a possibility that... That that the as you say his his history in Indian Wells isn't great. I think he's been at one final even during his peak time. Um, but I, I also saw the way Draper was playing, and and I think a, a healthy Jack Draper, and unfortunately that's few and far between at the moment, uh, is top ten almost, or certainly getting that close. Certainly top twenty, um, you know, top sixteen yeah. if you like. And, and I'm trying to narrow it down, but you you know what I'm saying. I mean, he's when he's healthy. I mean, it was touch and go with him and Rafa for two sets in Australia. And that was long before Rafa's or before Rafa's injury. Um, unfortunately, Jack had some, had some cramping issues, I think, in that match. He pulled out of a few tournaments. And again, we saw with, with Draper in this tournament, again, we saw some great tennis, uh, plays Alcaraz, and unfortunately has to retire at two love in the second set. Yeah, I, you know, I'm inclined to agree with um, Owen Lewis, who's talking on Twitter about this. Uh, I, I still agree top 20 is a possibility, but the forehand is a glaringly obvious reason he wouldn't be breaking the top 10 anytime soon okay. for me. It's just very, very rude. It's not aggressive enough compared to a lot of the other forehands on the tour. Very spinny. You can see that watching him live in particular. It's just like big loopy shape all the time. There's very, very little penetration to the shot and able to take advantage of that at times. Even earned himself that set point, of course, in the first set. You know, in conditions that, that don't favour him necessarily. Um, but yeah, if Draper can sort that, definitely top twenty. I think he he would deserve. But there's there's players that will beat him um, with that forehand at the moment. Fair enough. Uh, any final thoughts on the men's side, uh, either the tournament as a whole, your time there, any players, maybe maybe Felix frustrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Sitsi passes injury. Yeah, Sitsi passes injury can. It's fine, we don't need to talk about that too much. I don't even know why I played the tournament, really. 
Um, the loss to Thompson was, was perplexing. Uh, Felix was, was yeah, was a, bit, a bit to talk about there. I'm trying to remember. He went out to Carlos, didn't he? And obviously Carlos had beaten, beaten him, uh, lost to him even three times in a row out of three. So that was the first loss, Alcaraz, uh, the first win Alcaraz had got over Felix. At the same time, he kind of felt like it was coming. Felix had been a little ropey throughout the tournament. Do you know, I'm totally forgetting Johnny beat Tommy Paul in that manner, actually. That was fantastic, you know, I'm saying that. So I got to see him play Sarundolo live, right? And okay. he, he he was 5-2 up with a double break in the second set. Double faults about six times or something, has six match points and eventually gets over the line. Tommy Paul kind of looked touch and go for a lot of the time, but I was expecting him to lose that, given how he played to Sarundolo how he plays in Indian Wells in general. But then the win there actually was was never mind. I've not worried about Felix. That was fantastic. I think that's that's given me a lot of uh, positive points to think about Felix for, for me. Because it's been a it's been a while since he's had a pressure match like that that he's come out the other end of um winning. So you know I was very impressed with that and then Carlos just did what he does best. Out backhanded him, right? Which uh, Felix's backhand is is solid but it's not better than than Alcaraz's. So not not much to worry about, I would say, in terms of the loss. And actually, a quarterfinal run for him was probably better than most were expecting. Yeah. What were your thoughts about the conditions? I mean, a lot of people were talking about the speed of the court. That probably doesn't suit Felix so much. We saw him flying through the indoor, speedy European hard courts last year. And, and uh, a lot of people, particularly Medvedev anyway, were complaining about the court speed. Mm-hmm. The court speed was, yeah, it, it was pretty slow and you could kind of tell that watching it live. I, I actually didn't get to see Cam's loss in the end, Cam Norrie, but you can tell why Cam Norrie is so good there. because I was watching him play Tyler Daniel and there's very little Tyler Daniel could do when it went to an extended rally, given just how spinny Cam Norrie's forehand is. He doesn't rely on pace for that shot necessarily, it just locks you in to the, the backhand constantly. There's very little he could do without taking on a lot of risk. Um, who did beat them again? Can you remember? John, was it, was it Rublev? Or, no, Rublev yeah, Rublev, yeah. Who just well, had another sort of path of the course tournament, really, Ruby? No, not, not, no big meltdown, no no shock that he went out, I guess, when he did. But, but yeah. Oh, but, sorry, yeah. sorry. It was the other way around. Cam Norrie beat um, Rublev. He did in straight sets. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was TFO. It was TFO that Cam lost yeah. to eventually. And actually, I was quite surprised at that. The point is, you can tell why somebody like Cam does so well there. It's just so difficult to hit through the conditions. Yeah, actually, I was watching, funny enough, that Cam Noy Rublev match, and my the TV in the bar I was in froze, and uh, that's probably why uh, it froze from my memory too. But yeah, actually, that probably wasn't the best of of losses for Rublev, and Rublev turned Noy over comfortably in New York last year, but uh, uh, didn't have the same success here. Maybe he'll have a bit more on the clay, of course, which we're coming close to, but of course we've got Miami before then. Uh, let's switch to the women. Um, and uh, as a little in in between bit, I just want to remind everyone to hit that like button. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new. Uh, also give Jack a follow on Twitter. Uh, what is your Twitter handle? It's at online underscore Jack. There you go. Quite a nice one, especially as you have a podcast and YouTube channel uh, with the same name or certainly on the line. Um, so, yeah, make sure you hit the like button and subscribe to Talking Tennis as well. And if you are watching this retrospectively, get in the comment section below and let us know your thoughts on anything that Jack and I have discussed so far or coming up. So, uh, oh, hang on a second. Sorry, before I do the women, I have got to get into this 
this Holger and Stan thing. What are your thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it divides opinion. Some people love it and some people think that one or the other is so bad in, in the wrong here. What? Where do you stand? Uh, it's, it's definitely fiery. And I wouldn't say there's not a little bit of love lost between them for sure. You know, it's definitely something there. However, I quite like it. I, you know, I think we need drama in the sport. I'm not against it. Absolutely fine. It's pretty harmless at the end of the day as well, isn't it? You know, he just called Stan just called him a baby, whatever, and then over fights back with what was kind of <laughs> it ended up being a little embarrassing, I would say. But it, you know, whatever, I like it. I'm all there for it. And what was saying on Twitter, John, people are going to watch the next match now just for a little yeah. bit of drama, right? It gets people watching, then I'm all for it, definitely. Me too. I, I, I mean, I have no idea why Holger Rune decided to bring it up. I don't know whether he was thinking about it at various points in the match. And of course, yeah. Runa lost that match and, and Vavrinka, a bit like Andy Murray's having a bit of a renaissance this year anyway. And I think it was a really good win for him. Vavrinka, of course, had a match point against him in paris Bercy, And, you know, a few days later, he's lifting yeah, the title. Three. Of course, so yeah, he three, did he? Yeah, yeah, three. Wow. Was, uh, yeah, brutal loss for Stan. But this is a great win in, in retrospect. We saw that live, by the way. That was, that was fantastic. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I saw a, a picture that you tweeted. Okay, so let's have more Holger and Stan uh, debates, if you like, at the net. And uh, we can't wait for those two to clash once again. Okay, I said uh, we'd, let's talk about the women, so I think we should do that now. Uh, Rebakina winning the tournament. A surprise? A surprise. Definitely, I thought the conditions wouldn't suit her game. But she played fine. She played absolutely fantastic, really. And she kind of talked herself down. She was talking about how much the conditions don't suit her game and stuff throughout the week. But I don't know, that extra time on both shots seemed to help her quite a lot. And it's not like her serve was impacted that much by the conditions either. Um, I suppose maybe she, she's winning a lot less three points than she would somewhere like Wimbledon. But the, the quality of her ground strokes, it didn't matter really. Um, she was just that good from the back of the court. Uh, so I suppose that's a little surprising, but uh, you know, at the same time, we know how well she can play on both wings. And um, I guess the draw kind of fell her way a bit. Maybe a couple of matches against Sabalenka plus another person of her sort of quality. You know, somebody who can smack the ball from the back of the court, and she might not have got away with it. But you know, she, she's the way she plays against Fontek nowadays. Um, that kind of win wasn't actually that surprising, I guess, in the end. Um, she's just yeah, definitely like second best player in the world at the moment, right? On on a hardcore at least, if, I would say. Uh, I think second to second to Ego or, or Sabalenka. Yeah, I think Sabalenka is still the best player in the world on a hardcore. And yes, there was. I guess we're talking about the final now, right, John? Um, the double faults were surprising for sure, and I, I would expect her to to patch them up by the next time uh, she gets on a, a hardcore or any match. In particular, I would say I, I was surprised it came out as egregiously as that, right? I mean, 10 double faults must be like more double faults than she made for the other four matches of the tournament, probably, uh, or five matches of the tournament, right? She, she was barely put a foot wrong the whole time. So hopefully she patches that up. I think she will next time. Um, and the fact it was still close says a lot about Sabalenka, right? 10 double faults in that first set, and she still had three set points, two set points, whatever. So fantastic match to John, right? Absolutely. And uh, just before I get into the match itself, um, you know, Sabalenka's serving uh, peaks and troughs, let's say, over the last 12 months. Somebody should maybe interview the biomechanist that maybe fixed yeah. that issue, right? 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, there's definitely a gap in the market there. There's a gap in the market for that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. For those of you wondering what we're uh, uh, jesting about, uh, Jack interviewed, uh, what's the guy's name, sorry? Gavin McMillan. Gavin McMillan, exactly, uh, a few weeks ago. So check out that episode. Uh, it's soaring through the YouTube charts, knocking off uh, various competitors on the way through. So make sure you give that uh, half an hour interview a, a much needed a bit of love and uh, and watching it. Well, much needed love. I don't think it needs much more love than it's already got, to be fair. But you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm uh, saying, Jack. Yeah, well, one thing I would say um, is, I mean, Rybikina Sabalenka, when they played at the Australian Open, Sabalenka came out pretty nervy there as well, right? I, I mean, she double-faulted a bunch of times in that first set, maybe five Rybikina takes it, and then Sabalenka patched up her game and, she was fine after that. And saying that, Sabalenka didn't double fault for the second set. It was just kind of nip and tuck, right? And for Ribikina to come out the other end with a win, I mean, there were six points in it. And I think there was like three points in that first set. So it must have been the same in the second set as well. It's always going to be about that close. And for Sabalenka to fall in straight sets, even with the double faults, very surprising, I would say. Yeah. But I, I, listen, we were a long way away from where she was 12 months ago or even eight, nine months ago with that. Pam Shriver had an interesting take on on that, actually, and, and the double fortunately. It wasn't really a case of, of, of anxiety or anything like that or, or, or even maybe anything technical. Um, but it was just a case of knowing how good your opponent is and you've got to get it a little bit closer to the line, if you like, and with a bit more speed. And when you're taking that kind of risk, perhaps... You're going to double fault a bit more frequently. So I thought that was an interesting take. Um, regarding women's tennis as a whole right now, I think we're at a very interesting juncture. I'm very excited because the Premier League of the four players, and I used the expression a few days ago of the big four, okay? And I know we are many, many years, maybe even a decade off really using that with any justification, bearing in mind what we've just seen over the last decade or two on the men's side. Um, but we're in a mini moment of a big four. Whether this lasts three months or three years, I don't know. But we're going into, we went into Indian Wells and uh, I thought it was very difficult to make a case for anyone other than one of four players winning this tournament. The two finalists that we have on the screen, Igor Sviontek, of course, and the fourth member of this uh, crew is, is, is Kolejcikova, yeah. um, beating Iga back-to-back on a hard court over the last six months, winning a WTA 1000 tournament. And to be honest with you, you mentioned the draw and maybe that slightly favoured Rebecca and I also think that, that Sviontek had it not too bad until the semis. Um, Sabalenka, on the other hand, had to beat Kolejcikova to get to the final. And it was it's just one of those situations with Rebecca and I obviously now going up to number seven in the world, but she's been a bit lower ranked. And of course, Clay Chikov is still outside the top 10. That You're kind of looking to see which one of these players, unfortunately, is going to have to play Clay Chikov or maybe Rabakina a bit earlier. Iga had to play Rabakina in the fourth round. I think it was in Australia. Uh, I forget who Clay Chikov lost to in, in, in Australia now. But you're, you're kind of looking at the draw going, that's the one. And and uh, and and I think she might have lost to Pagula, did she, or or, or Benchich? Yeah, sure. she did lose to Pagula. You had Kapikova for the tournament gone. I mean, you I know. To pick her. I remember that. Yeah. Um, she did lose to Pagula because I was. Yeah. I, I had to get into the semis in Australia, yeah. but yeah. So 
but we are going, and I, and I thought it was really difficult going into this tournament in Indian Wells to make a case for anyone else. Now, you might get it right. You might get lucky and, and pick Garcia, you know, Jabir or, or, or Sakwe or whoever, and they end up winning the tournament. And So it's not a case of saying that you can be wrong, but it's also saying at that point going into the tournament, I don't think there's any real evidence that suggests anyone outside of those four was going to win it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree. Um I still think Sabalenka Rebekina probably topped the the pecking order on a hard court. I'll, st- I'll stand by that. And then Kuchikova Schwantek about even. Um, because if I mean if they end up playing each other on a hard court at the moment, it's definitely about 50-50. I still think Schwantek has the odds kind of confidence issue on a court. She still hasn't played a um a deciding set this year, right? I think every single match has been a straight sets winner, a straight sets loss. So it's always just gone one way or the other, uh, which is fine. But I think it also kind of, I mean, okay, you have the caveat this tournament that she had an injury and I think she wouldn't have posted about that if there wasn't actually something going on. But you have the, you have to think that there's the odd time where she just gets sort of swept off the court and there's nothing she feels she can do about it. I'm not saying she doesn't have a plan B. I got roasted a little bit for that, but I would say it's a little bit difficult for her to do that when she's not got any time to think and there's these players that can just kind of blow her off the court, basically. Um, so that, that has to make her third for me when you've got the firepower of Rebekina and, and uh, Sabalenka to contend with. I'm glad you touched on Iga because I, I think there is some discourse around her at the moment, rightly or wrongly. Uh, on the court, if you like, I think... We are seeing this all or nothing where she's blowing opponents away, two and one, bagels, bakeries and all that stuff. Um, and then we're also seeing her lose pretty heavily straight sets, straight sets in, in Australia to Rebakina, two and two this time. So it was even more convincing. Um, straight sets to Kolechikov, I think it was in the WTA. As you said, she hasn't, she hasn't won a match in three sets uh, or lost one, I guess. She hasn't played a three set match for uh, no, quite some time, as you, as you said. So, and I, and I think we are also seeing some frustration from her. I used it in the, uh, in the title for this particular episode because I remember seeing her take that defeat to Pagula really badly. That was also, I think, two and two in, in Australia before the Australian Open at the United Cup. I think there were certain circumstances behind that. She just arrived in Sydney. Pagula had been playing there, conditions, etc. And I don't think too many of us took too much stock uh, from that defeat, if you like. But I think the frustration that she had and... And I think it gets to a point in the match, say she's a breakdown in the second set, not giving up, not at all, but she's just sort of just swinging at it and sort of hoping rather than expecting or, or trying to, to figure out an, a, a way of getting back into the match. I hope this doesn't sound too harsh because, you know, she'd probably go back on a 35-match winning streak uh, after this video and, and maybe, maybe she'll have better luck in Miami. Do, do you think maybe she will have better luck in Miami, by the way? faster there actually so it should sort of game less it, it depends who she's playing and she does have Rebekina in the quarterfinals again which doesn't bode well she even has I still think she beats Ostapenko to be honest her game's been a bit flaky flakier than even Ostapenko's normally is um, so I still think she beats Ostapenko but Rebekina absolutely should be considered the favourite going into that match again I would say especially given the courts are just a bit faster um, I, I, I think John, I like. I don't think it's too harsh to sort of talk about Schwantek in this way because there were points, obviously, last year where Schwantek wouldn't have lost to anybody in the world. Didn't matter what the surface was. Didn't matter, well, apart from grass. Didn't matter what the 
uh, where you were basically on a hard court side. Uh, she, she was winning every single match. Um, and I'm not saying we should expect that of her, but Schwantek playing at her best, she doesn't go down two and two to anybody, basically. Um, I, 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 there's maybe an element of players kind of have figured out that you have to go a bit more aggressive on the return. Certainly, you know, her serve is a liability. But Schwantek's absolutely a confidence player. Um, absolutely. Like she talks about how important Daria, uh, what's her name? Sorry, um, Abramovich, uh, not Abramovich. Daria Abramovich, but Abramovich is her surname. Anyway, our sports psychologist, um, how important she's been to her game. And you, you absolutely buy that. You know, she's devastated when she loses, she's over the moon when she wins. Um, she talks about how important it is just to have a friend on the tour and how sort of confidence plays into her game. As soon as that kind of clicks again and she gets a little bit of momentum going, I, I don't see players like Rivakina being able to blow her off the court as easily as that. Federer, uh, I remember saying once how learning to lose was one of the biggest lessons that that he learned. And we know we know how frustrated he was as a teenager uh, in terms of, of losses. Um, but he certainly uh, knew how to deal with them in the end and also using it to his advantage. Um, he had a pretty half-decent career. And if Iga has anything close to that level, then I'm sure she'll do well. But yeah, I think there is a case of, of learning a bit from, from that and, and maybe the sort of... I'm just trying to think of the right expression here, but just managing bad moments, if you like. Uh, and, and by the way, she's got it in her repertoire. I mean, she so many times she was winning three-set matches last year, tight tight ones. I remember being a breakdown in the third set to, to Sabalenka in New York and, and, and so many other times because we know how comfortable she was at certain times, particularly on the clay last year, but she also had other sticky moments and she emerged the win. In fact, that US Open run was really sticky throughout if you like yeah uh stickier than a than a hardcore in indian wells perhaps um yeah. there's john there, there's been a long time since i've seen a tournament of sean text where i thought she was playing her best tennis here mm. like absolutely i think which is a compliment in a way yeah, it's definitely a compliment she's succeeding yeah. still yeah ex exactly she still wins matches just based on the fact her base level is so so high but there's it's been rare that i've seen her play a match on a surface that, on a, a hardcore i guess um, that, that doesn't suit her and she's played better than you know she's played like she played during that streak I, I haven't seen it I can't think of one match since that streak that she's played that sort of level um, against somebody she shouldn't have necessarily so I, I still think she's got a lot of improvements to make it's, it's, she knows that she's said it before I, I think there's still a, a very very high peak that she hasn't accessed yet and I'm still very confident that she could she could reach that eventually given her history of course a positive tournament for Sabalenka still, despite that sort of semi-painful defeat in the final? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's anything wrong with reaching the final of Indian Wells. Obviously, also, John, Svontek making the semi-finals, you know, she's still probably, she's got to be close to the most consistent player this year, right? Even when she's, you know, reaching the final of Dubai and the semis of Indian Wells, and that's considered a disappointment in a way. It's not that bad, is it? And it's the same yeah. for Sabalenka. Um, storming her way through the the, the draw and then only getting unstuck in the final. I'm still confident she bounces back from Miami and probably should be considered the favourite there. Yeah. Um, she's lost twice this year, Sabalenka, uh, to Krajcikova and Rybakina. I think I'm right in saying that she's just two defeats for her this year. And then yeah. if you look at the resume of victories, uh, the 
players that she's beat. Obviously, Rabakina earlier this year among them. Bencic, of course, in Australia. Vekic, too. Um, Vekic is having a, a good year, I would suggest, although Indian Wells was a bit of a disappointment for her. And and, and so many other top, top players. Uh, Sakuri, of course, in the semi-finals. Oh, Sakuri. Uh, same old, same old, right? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I, I, again, for her to get through that many matches was properly great. And it's, yeah, exactly the same job. It's, it's been what we were saying last year. She she comes through a lot of matches. She has no right to win. And then eventually the, the forehand kind of gets a bit loose when she's a little nervy. That's kind of what happened again in the semis. Although, admittedly, she was kind of just outplayed there. Which will happen. I still think Sakari's peak game isn't, fantastic she just has a way of kind of gritting out every match she, she plays right which is definitely yeah. a compliment i would say yeah and the only thing is it's really interesting to think of where her and sabalenka were in 2021 they were the the bridesmaids to some extent at, at a lot of the big tournaments semi-finals occasionally a final albeit not a grand slam final but not being able to get over the line and I would say in the last 12 months, and particularly the last, say, eight months, Sabalenka is now on a, in a different, on a different planet. And unfortunately, Sakari is sort of still stuck in third gear, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at Sakari there as well. She, she won all of her matches in three sets. The win against Kvitova in particular was fantastic. Kvitova was playing really well. Um, so that was a really, really good win. I, I just think, I, I don't know if... It's unfair for me to say she's just not as good a player as the, the top five. I don't think she deserves to, to be there necessarily. You know, Sabal, is she in the top five at the moment, actually? The the players aforementioned anyway, Shontek, Krachikova, Sabalenka and um, Rybakina. Like, so the, I don't think she's near that level in terms of what she can produce from the back of the court. And her serve as well has very ropey moments. She's, just, she's got a lot of improving to do. I'm sure she'll know that. I, I don't think that improvement is going to come in the forehand, which is just a, it's always going to be a shot in the ball reserve because a lot of that's mental. And her backhand's actually decent. I don't think that'll get much better than it is. The serve probably is where she could be making improvements. Just win herself a few more three points. She has got a good serve as it is. She just doesn't consistently land it. Um, if she can improve that, then yes, maybe she can rejoin the top five. But yeah, she's definitely a step below the best in the world. The next sort of group of players that I would probably say that that Sakari's in that comf- company more or less, although I do wonder if the players that I'm about to mention, one or two of them, maybe their ceilings are slightly higher than Maria's at the moment. Uh, but there's this, I mentioned the Premier League of, of four players, uh, the big four, if you like, as it is right now. The next group, the the sort of pretenders, Pergula, Garcia, Shabur. Off. I'm looking at the world rankings and I think they're up to date. They're actually three, four, five, six, and seven. Uh, you know, Sakuri, as I say, would probably be in or around that group too. I, I think there's just a, a few, oh, what's the word again? Maybe worries or, you know, maybe Garcia and Pagula as well, both 29 years old. Um, whether whether that was like their moment and maybe Jabir as well at 28, the last sort of six to eight months of 2022 was their moment and that 2023 is going to see them not quite revert to the norm because I think they're in, they, they're worthy of being top 10 players, but whether, which one of those? Okay. Okay. Here we go. Pagula, Garcia, Shabur, Sakri and Goff, five players. Which one of those is the most likely to win a Grand Slam? Goff. 
golf. De- definitely golf. Yeah, not just because of her age. Um, although that obviously plays into it. She's got loads of stuff she can still improve in her game, and she's still, you know, six in the world at nineteen years old golf. She, she's also the only one of those players. Oh no, sorry, Jabir, of course, has made two finals. Um, but barring that, golf is the only other player that's actually made a final. And again, she's only nineteen years old. Yeah, I mean, recently turned nineteen as well. I think golf definitely takes it for me. Okay, I'm going to make this quite easy. I think quite easy, but quite difficult. Uh, one word answers, okay? And I just want mm-hmm. to know if you think they're going to win a Grand Slam. Jessica Bagula. No. Caroline Garcia. No. <laughs> Maria Sakari. No. <laughs> and probably the most difficult one, I would say, Anjabur. Um, not a definite no. But uh, yeah. if I had to make a bet, I would say no. I um, wouldn't. Comp- Listen, Jack and I don't always agree on our predictions, but I have to say, I mentioned those five players. I would have Goff. Uh, I would probably over a bit more towards the age than, than you would in, in my argument of her, of her, because I just think there's a lot of time for her to, to improve the forehand, for example, and, and other elements of her game. Whereas Jabir in particular was sort of a, you know, there's two finals last year, two very close finals, couldn't quite get over the line. Garcia and Pagula, as I've already touched on, I think that they're, their six-month moment. I, I could be wrong on all of these, perhaps. Maybe they're all going to win Grand Slams in the next couple of years. But I, I probably agree with you that four of those five, I would err towards no. Yeah. I, I, I actually think Garcia, maybe I'm underrating a bit there. She, she's probably got the potential, but I still would bet on no. Um, but Sakari, there's a mental issue there that's just, there's no sign that's going to go away. And uh, who was the other player? Sorry. Pagula. Uh, Jabur, maybe, or Pagula? Pagula, it was Pagula. Pagula's peak's just not high enough, I think, to, to win a slam. There's players that will always beat her at a, a slam. Um, if, if she's, unless she, she gets them on an off day, I think it's unlikely Pagula wins a slam. Um, but Garcia, yeah, okay, actually, if she's playing her absolute best for seven matches, yeah, maybe. Jabur's just way better on clay and grass than most of the tour. Um, so there is a chance. Definitely, there's a chance. But I mean, on hard course at the moment, Jabur is about 50-50 every single match she steps into. Um, and that's just that's how it is with her ground strokes. Sure. I mean, she has been injured, of course, and she's coming back, but I, I, I completely understand what you mean. The good news for Jabur, as you say, is that these two, uh, these two surfaces where there's just one or two less competitors, perhaps, uh, gives her a slight a better chance. And I'm really looking forward to Miami, but I'm even more looking forward to the clay court season. You and I, of course, are based here in, in Europe. So we also, I also know that the clay court season means that spring and summer is, is on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm also looking forward to it on the women's side because I think the four players that I mentioned, the big four, all have... No, maybe not Rubakina. There's no evidence yet with her. But the other three all have some pedigree on the clay especially quite Chikova, of course, and, and uh, Sviantec with three French Opens yeah. between them. And I'm really looking forward to those two in particular uh, playing each other at some point or maybe several times in the next uh, few weeks. Um, any final thoughts on Indian Wells? Any players that I've missed off that you, you want to shout out to? Yeah, not, not particularly Indian Wells because she had actually a really bad Indian Wells, uh, surprisingly. But Bencic... Definitely, we'll, we'll go under the radar in Miami as a player to, to look out for because these are conditions that suit her game for sure. She's got a fairly easy run in comparison to everybody else. 
you know, she's got, um, I think, Kvitova, Alexandrova, Sakari, all beatable players, and Jabur as well. In her quarter, she could emerge victorious in that quarter and come out fresh for a semi-final with Savalenka, Kuchikova, and could come out uh, a victor in that match. She's, she is playing underrated tennis at the moment and deserves to be number nine in the world. She, um, she could be a little bit of a dark horse, John. Alcaraz to do the Sunshine Double? Uh, yeah, it's a shame I don't have the draw in front of me. I could just sneak it up. Yeah, I haven't seen the draw either. Or I have seen bits of it. I've seen bits of the women's side, but but I, I'm really pumped for it. I, I'm fortunate I had to miss large parts of Indian Wells. I was on holiday. I mentioned how I caught some of it in a, in a bar. I walked into this bar. I was in, in Lebanon, and uh, I walked into this bar the other day and uh, couldn't believe it when there was Indian Wells on the TV. Uh, Lebanon, maybe not the most well-known country in the world for tennis <laughs> fandom. Uh, but, but, but football and soccer, obviously, a big style. And as I walked in, after about five seconds, I looked at the TV and the barman switched it over to the football. I said, no, 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 put the tennis back on. I mean, I love football uh, a bit more than you, certainly, Jack. But um, uh, it, it was an easy night for Manchester City in the Champions League, so I wasn't really interested in seeing that. And I went back. I, it was Medvedev, um, Zverev, actually. So, and then I said Cam Nori as well, and Rublev came on. So that was, that was great for me. But I, unfortunately, I missed a lot of the tennis from the first sort of seven, eight days of the tournament as a result. But um, Miami, I should be much more all over it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go I, on the draw. I think, I, I don't know if I actually have it yet. Do we not have the main draw yet or something? We've got the women, certainly. So I, yeah. I, all I can see is the qualifying draw at the moment. It's got to be there, though, surely. Um, no, no, it's not out yet. It isn't out. Oh. That's why. Um, so I've, I've no idea. I would still say... Maybe, maybe the women start a day or two earlier. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. I didn't know that either. I Actually, I'm going to go Medvedev. I, I think, yeah, it's quite good when the courts are slow for him, despite what he says. I think it's more about how volatile the conditions are there. Um, I don't know if he'll let on to that and how high-bouncing they are as well. I think Miami suits him a bit better. I think against Alcaraz, he won't give him as many free points as he did um, at Indian Wells. And I don't think he is, his serve will be as much of a, or as little of a, a liability, I guess. He didn't do anything really in that match. I, I'm going to go maybe this. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. I've got a very, very blurry draw in front of me from a, a screenshot I took that I should have taken more care with. But yeah, I think uh, Benchich's sector is not too bad. We've got Andreescu Raducanu of the first round. I mm. hope Sophia Kennan, by the way, maybe that's one more player that we should mention before we bring this to a close. I hope that she gets uh, a kind first round. She's going to be playing against a qualifier. I think she's been really unlucky uh, with her draws uh, in India, Wales and Australia. She played... Uh, Azarenka in the first round in Australia, and that was, we didn't quite necessarily know Azarenka's level, but she ends up getting to the semi final. Uh, Kedin went out to Rebacana, I think, in Indian Wells in, in two very yeah. closely fought sets. Yeah, two tie breaks. So I, I, I think we are seeing some, I saw some signs before Australia, actually, so much so that I think I had to get into the second or third round in Melbourne, which would have been unthinkable over the last 18 months or two years. Uh, but we saw some signs before. Australia where or before the Australian Open where she was getting some wins I don't know if it was in New Zealand or, or somewhere else in Australia but uh fingers crossed that she's gonna have a a, a renaissance if you like yeah fingers crossed yeah and uh, somebody oh. in the comments oh. they're saying Mukova to beat Schwantek although I don't actually I'm maybe that's afraid. part of the draw let me just have another look at my blurry um, screen well I'm afraid I've got news I can't even see Mukova in the draw uh, let me just have a quick look where Shviontek is. Uh, duh, 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 duh. She does have a habit of getting injured quite frequently. So Yeah, 
Yeah, that is unfortunate for for Mukovan. She had a actually probably one other player that we should mention because she had a pretty good tournament. She had a yes, she had a landmark she win against Azarenka, right? I, I had her winning that match, and I think I I think she went out at the stage that I predicted. I didn't have a great tournament on the women's side because I had Klaichikova playing Sviontek in the final. Uh, but oh. yeah, and so, I had Sviontek. Sorry, so, sorry Mukovan's in qualifying. <laughs> Oh goodness me! <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's actually mental. Um, yeah, she 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 could do. I guess it's a pretty ambitious call to say she'll she'll be Sean Dick if we don't know where she is in the draw. But she's playing amazing. You're right, and um, she lost to Rebecca in a very close contest as well. Beat uh, Von Drusseva in an amazing match. Uh, yeah, the Azarenka win as well. Exactly, fantastic. This is the first time she's been in the quarters of a big tournament in a long time. I think it might have been the Australian Open was the last WTA 1000 or slam that she made the quarters of two years ago. So this was fantastic for her. Fingers crossed she can stay healthy. A, a quick look at the draw in Miami. Uh, just have a look at potential second rounds. There's Actually, it's quite a balanced, unlike some other ones. Certainly the first two rounds I'm looking at, there's a, a couple of popcorn matches, like I mentioned, with uh, Andrescu and and, uh, and uh, Raducanu. But actually, I'm kind of looking at the second round potentials and just seeing, uh, well, is that Leila Fernandez maybe against Belinda Bencic? That could yes, be. yeah, that could be close. Could be interesting, yeah. Uh, that's the one that. that stands out. Obviously, uh, Sakari against either uh, Andrescu or Raducanu in the second round. I think those are the two that that jump out to me from the first couple of rounds. But listen, that's for Miami. That's for another day. Uh, I just want to say a big thank you to you, Jack. Uh, you've been sunning yourself in California and now raining yourself back in rainy Glasgow. Uh, hopefully, the the clouds. Uh, soon disperse and you can enjoy the the sunshine second half of the sunshine double from the comfort of your own home and then we've got the clay court season as, as i say I, I i love it are, are you a no. clay court fan i think we had an, uh, a whatsapp message about this no yeah no i absolutely am john i absolutely am love it it might be my favorite part of the season grass court's lovely because we we tend to go to a lot of the tournaments right but the, the clay is just i think you get your best matches on clay of the year yeah yeah, they, they, I, listen, I, we, you and I, of course, have an affinity with grass coming from the UK, but but uh, I think the, the exciting matches tend to happen a bit more often on clay. I Jack? Think, I was going to say, cons- consistently, I think the French Open is the best slam. Okay, yeah. A lot of like crazy fives. New York, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe you, you're looking over a longer period, but the last couple yeah. of years, New York has, has stood up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're right. US has won the last couple of years. But I mean, the French Open last year was fantastic and it has been pretty much every year. So I'm looking forward yeah. to that, John. Cool. Big thanks to you, Jack. Just one more reminder. Uh, just give us your socials and, and your podcast, etc. Yeah, on the line underscore Jack on Twitter. Please give us a follow and go to YouTube on the line tennis podcast. Should do it if you search that. Plenty of uh, decent stuff on there. I'm sure it's uh, enjoyable to some. So so go check it out. Thank you, Tennis World, for stopping by. Cheers. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network.